This is the podcast Going Beyond Salvation, and this is your host, Jess Robinson. And this is the first podcast in our brand new home. And so this is a new studio that we're going to be going with. So we're excited for that. Uh, The next few weeks, we'll be trying to catch up with all of our podcasts and stuff for you guys to go through as a as a guide when you are doing your daily Bible reading, especially in the, the years to come. And so uh, going forward in, in the book of Romans, is, we're going over the New Testament right now, and we're going over the book of Romans. And the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, and he, it is believed that he wrote the book of Romans toward the end of his third missionary journey, um, possibly from Corinth. And, uh, this is, you know, before he's arrested and taken to Rome. And so he'd never been to Rome, but he was wanting to go to Rome. And the church of Rome had been founded by other Christians, uh, Paul, through his many travels, many knew many of the believers. Um, in his letter to the Book of Romans, you know, Paul emphasizes that the church is for both the Jews and the Gentiles. And in this letter, he's also instructing uh, them in how to restore their relationship with God. This is a huge book that I like to even refer uh, new believers to in when they uh, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I direct them actually to go to the book of John and read the book of Romans as well, uh, just because of the themes revolving around that um, before we even start going further in, in our walk. You know, it's just kind of, you know, it's how to restore our relationship with God and actually, you know, there's a lot of verses that I've memorized from the book of Romans when it comes to evangelism, uh, you know, you know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and just different ones I have memorized, you know, to share, you know, when I'm giving salvation calls with the youth group, all of that, the book of Romans comes back a lot because of the the theme of that and and you know he gives them a clear doctrine of salvation by faith you know he accomplishes his goal as he proclaims that Christ is the very righteousness of God and the means for sinners to become righteous to be to be saved you know there's this clear gospel message in in the book of Romans not saying that the gospel message is not presented anywhere else in the Bible but we see it strongly in the book of Romans and you think about the book of Romans you know the theme I like to say is it's righteousness you know the key words you know we see righteousness faith law all and sin they appear at least 60 times in the epistle and we know in that time, Rome was the most influential city in the world. You know, we hear that the term all roads lead to Rome. And and sadly, you know, we have taken that term of all roads lead to Rome to saying that all roads lead to salvation. 
And that's not true. You know, there's only one way for salvation, and that's through Jesus. Through Jesus Christ and accepting him as your Lord and Savior and repenting of your sins. You know, those are huge things in 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 the Bible that, you know, clearly states how you you get to heaven, how you gain eternal life. He is, you know, as me and my husband in our own daily reading, you know, we were in the book of John and when Lazarus had had died and Jesus, you know, proclaims to Mar- Martha that he's the re- resurrection and life. And and that is so true. And so, you know, Rome was the most influential city in the world. Um, Paul's desire, you know, because he was a citizen of the Roman Empire, you know, his desire was to preach the gospel of Christ in this city. And, he, you know, we know he gets to, in the book of Acts, you know, he gets to go there and preach the gospel in Rome you know, in chains, essentially. And and actually, if you go to Rome, uh, there is a place where it is where, you know, based on history, where, or where Paul, the Apostle Paul, was in prison before he, he died. And you can actually still go to this little cell and a lot of Christians will say, you know, out of everything, you know, especially um, spirit filled Christians will go to that little cell and they will fill the Holy Spirit there because, you know, even when he was in, in prison, the Apostle Paul was still praying and, and living his faith and that cell, you know, the Holy Spirit will meet you wherever you need to be or wherever you're at and, and, you know, so his, his presence, you know, can even be inside a closet, you know, wherever you decide to put or really, you know, spend your time to pray the the Lord's presence will show up, you know, and at this time, I, from what I understand, Nero was ruling, um, but it was basically a good era because Nero had chosen able men to govern at that time. That was before all the persecutions started happening. And it was estimated in that time that the population was as large as 4 million. Uh, and there was a lot of disparis- disparities existing between the wealthy and the poor. Um, there, it was also comprised of slaves and servants. And we see a lot in the epistles that Paul does address slavery, you know, and he does address slavery because we have to look at the times in those times slavery was prevalent. And actually I was, I was reading a book and essentially, you know, slavery had been still allowed in America, but the way the founding fathers had placed it, you know, and their and the doctrines that they stood behind, it was to right the wrong one day to get rid of slavery because of the strong faith, correlation of faith and and Christ that's in our American roots. And a lot of people actually compare America with Rome. I won't go so much into it unless the Lord guides and directs me as we go through this, but... Essentially, uh, there was that, and 
and you know, it's in this atmosphere that the church is founded. You know, as I was telling my youth group kids, you know, this week, you know, we were dealing about rejection that, you know, Jesus himself was rejected, but he also was found reaching to those who were considered the rejects of society. They were, they were rejected because they were unclean due to an illness and he was praying for them for healing. You know, he was going to those who were tax collectors, who were prostitutes and reaching out to them, you know, about salvation. And these people willingly accepted the gospel. They, they were looking for a hope and Jesus had it. And, you know, the book of Romans, you know, can be divided into several sections. Uh, We're going to actually just go through uh, Romans chapter six for this podcast. Uh, In in chapter one, verses one through 17 is essentially an, an introduction. You know, he's writing to the church in Rome and he introduces himself to them you know, lets them know that it's a church he prays for. And as believers, we, we should follow that, especially with people that God has placed in our lives. You know, there's, it's actually believed that, um, you actually have at least five people, you know, the number of fingers on your hands, five people that you could pray for, for salvation. And that's something the Lord has been challenging me a lot is to pray for for my five every day and to find ways to reach to that five. And so he prays for, and even though he's never visited them, he prays for them, which is, which is, which is just amazing. And, um, you know, most of Rome had not been directly under Paul's ministry. You know, he still gives his credentials And he explains to them that the gospel entrusted to him is the same gospel that the Romans have. You know, there's nothing different. It's the same gospel that that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And he observes that in a matter of 10 years, their faith in Christ is recognized everywhere. And I mean, that's, you know, one church... It's it's interesting how when one church is set on fire for Jesus and... There's a lot of things happening in that church, how quickly like a wildfire it spreads. And, you know, and that's something I really believe that the churches need to be doing today is getting on fire for Jesus and, and for their city and for the, for the lost and just let that go like a wildfire. And, you know, and his desire is to develop and nurture that faith. You know, and that's a desire we should have as believers is is developing and nurturing the faith, especially to young believers who, you know, when they get saved, helping them in their walk with Jesus and their discipleship. We're not it's not just making converts, it's making disciples and helping them to get into the word. So we get into he the next section he talks about is sinful and com- condemnation of men and so we're going to take a quick break and we will jump into that part so again going to the next section you know in verse 
you know, chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul goes in, into talking about sinfulness and condemnation of men. You know, he builds a solid case for the condemnation of all people under a holy God. Because that's, that's who God is. He is holy. There is no sin in him. He is pure. And because of that, we also have sin. And sin is what separated us from God. It's what separates us from God. And, and it's only through the blood of Jesus that reconciles us to, to God. And, you know, and essentially, you know, all of us need the gospel of Christ because we're all guilty of sin and are unable to save ourselves. You know, we see today that we try to make ourselves equal to God or even above God, but we can't get salvation that way. And it's only through the gospel of Christ, only through Christ and his blood, his resurrection, are we able to have that reconnection with God in, in eternity. And he's also explaining that the Gentiles and the Jews are both guilty before before God. There is no, you know, set you know, person that, you know, is exempted. They're all sinful. Now he used the Jews and Israel to bring forth the Messiah, bring forth the Messiah, which is Jesus. He used them, but they were still sinful as well. And so they were both guilty before God, you know, and that, you know, no one lives without the, without some knowledge of God, you know, in man's unrighteousness, he sit unrighteousness. He suppresses the truth. And when, and when man rejects the truth of God, you know, when we do that, we're, we're, you know, degenerating our beliefs and our living, um, and we're therefore, you know, objects of God's wrath, you know, if, especially, you know, if we continue to live, you know, unfaithful to God, at some point, you know, we have to answer for our sin uh, because the price has to be paid. And, let, you know, we're so thankful that Jesus paid that price for us. What happens is, you know, the Gentiles are also without excuse the same way. You know, they're, they're, they're without excuse and, and the Jews are the same way, you know, and the Jews, what's, what's going on is, you know, their great knowledge has produced stubbornness and an unrepentant heart. And so they have, you know, gone their own way. And they too will experience the wrath of God if unrepentant. And, you know, it, it's essentially, you know, the, the whole thing is all people are sinful and unable to save themselves. That is something that we need to stand on. That, you know, there was sin, but Jesus is what brings us into, you know, back into in a relationship with God. And so... We're going to take a quick break here and then we're going to talk about the next part, which, you know, that we receive justification.
So continuing on in, in the book of Romans, we have, um, we go into chapter 3, verse 21, verses chapter 5, verse 21, and it's talking about the justification of, of believing sinners, which justification is, is kind of, is a legal term, essentially, saying that, you know, we've been exonerated, we've been you know, our, our slate has been made clean. And I love, you know, you know, it's essentially a past term. So when you become a, a believing, you know, a believer in, in Jesus Christ, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, essentially what happens is all that happened in the past has been wiped clean. You're no longer condemned. You're no longer under, uh, you know, the wrath of God at that point. And when he looks at you, he sees the blood. Like, I love how somebody was, there was a one time when we were in church and this person, you know, had this vision from God and essentially, you know, seeing from God's eyes when you are walking with Jesus and, you know, you're this walk with Jesus. When God looks at you, he looks and he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees you pure and you know, it's essentially saying, you know, and I think a lot of us, we still try to hold on to past sins when God is essentially telling us, no, I don't want you to hold on to past sins. You know, if he has forgotten them, you know, we, we don't need to be picking those things back up. Can we use them as part of our testimony to say where we've been from? Absolutely. That's what we should do. But otherwise we shouldn't be picking them back up. And the enemy, he likes to pick at us and make us feel condemned. He wants to bring that condemnation back on us, you know, where conviction, you know, leads us to Jesus' condemnation, leads us away from, from God. And, you know, essentially Paul here in the book of Romans, you know, he changes the subject from the dilemma of man's sinfulness to solutions for it. You know, since all have sinned, all need righteousness and that righteousness is, you know, only from God and cannot come by human effort. You know, it's only through faith in Jesus Christ, you know, accepting him as our Lord and Savior. You know, and that there's several words that uh, come in this in this section. There's justification, redemption, and propitiation is what it's saying, Uh and justification is, you know, essentially, you know, a judicial term referring that, you know, we're declared righteousness by a holy God. It's a past term, you know, and so it means it's a past event. Once you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's done. It's over with, you know, it's, you know, it's done based on our acceptance of the death that Christ that removes sins penalty as well as adding Christ's righteousness to our account. You know, we we're not righteous on our own. We're righteous because of Christ's righteousness. And we're going to talk about sanctification because that's a huge part in in our walk with Jesus that I think a lot of people these days um essentially just think salvation is essentially that's it. You know, we 
salvation is just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that's it. But there's more to it <laughs> than that, you know, than just accepting Jesus. You know, there's this daily walk that we have with him and this this journey that we take with him in this process called sanctification that, you know, where we become more Christ-like, you know, is how I essentially say it, become more Christ-like, think more like him, talk like him, you know, and it's a process. It's a journey, you know, that involves reading the word, being in prayer, going to church, you know, going to Bible studies and, you know, allowing and applying what we've, what we hear in church, what we hear in the word, in our prayer time, applying that to our lives as well. You know, redemption, you know, Christ redeems the sinner through his own blood on the cross. You know, as I have, you know, and I tell my youth group, a price had to be paid. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, a price had to be paid for the penalty of sin. And because of that, God paid that price through Jesus, his son. And, you know, and I just say to, to these kids, it's just like when, when we break the law, you know, our, our own law, we have to pay the penalty. We have to pay the penalty for breaking the law. You know, if you're caught speeding, you have to pay that speeding ticket. There's a penalty for that. And it's just essentially, you know, I, I like to use a, a story where this man, he got a ticket and he was friends with the judge and he went to the judge and, and the judge said, I'll take care of it, you know? And so he thought that his ticket had just been wiped clean. And the judge essentially told him, no, I paid for the ticket for you. And that's what God essentially did was with Jesus is Jesus paid our penalty. The, the punishment that was meant for us to pay for sin, that's what redemption is. And because of that, we are set free from the penalty of sin. You know, propitiation, that's the correct term, <laughs> is... The death of Christ satisfies the demands of a holy God. When Jesus said it is finished, when he said that on the cross, it means it's done. And it's going to continue to be done, you know. In his righteousness, he, you know, in God's righteousness, he can't overlook sin. Uh, God's holiness and justice are satisfied and God is now able to save men. So, you know, justification is by grace, as we see in verses chapter three, or chapter three, verses 21 through 24, through the blood, in chapter three, verses 25 through 26, and by faith, in the same chapter, 27 through 31, you know, and essentially, we are saved by faith, not works. You know, faith does not make the law irrelevant. You know, today many ignore the Old Testament saying that uh, it's irrelevant at this point because we're saved by grace. But there is so much in the Old Testament that because even Jesus, he, you know, when he was taught and using 
you know, like Jonah, he was talking about, and he was using terms from the Old Testament with the, the prophets. He was essentially saying that, you know, the Old Testament is as powerful, you know, it's essentially inspired and by the, by God. And because of that, you know, what happens is faith, what it does is it upholds the law by giving it the role God always intended for it as a revelation to humanity of each person's need for righteousness, for our salvation. You know, we can't do it on our own. You know, we see Paul, he further points out that there is one God and only one method of justification, and that method is faith. I mean, we think about Abraham, you know, Abraham walked by faith, not knowing where, you know, God was taking him. But he did that. And, you know, the law is not a means of justification, but rather a revealer of sin. If you don't have the law, how do you know you're sinning? You know, and, you know, this is the biggest debate that I have with atheists is that if there's no God, there's no law, meaning that our laws here in the U.S. are irrelevant. So what is right and what is wrong, essentially, based in there. And that's what is essentially with many of the beliefs today is it's based on your own truth of what's good and what's bad. And things get really, it allows corruption to happen. But here, because there's this law, it reveals what sin is and what, you know, when we are separated from God. And that's why, you know, the Old Testament is not irrelevant today. You know, there are things that Christ has fulfilled, you know, and that he fulfilled, you know, in the Old Testament. But there are so many principles that are laid out in the Old Testament that we need to apply to our lives. You know, the, in, in the story of King David, you know, even in the prophets, there are things that we can apply to our own Christian walk. You know, that's just something that we have to do because many believers today, it's, oh, we're saved by grace and we can do whatever we want. And, you know, I know a lot of people talk about, for example, like with homosexuality that, well, you know, Christ didn't really talk about that. And, you know, he, you know, we live under grace now so I can do, you know, love whoever I want. No, it doesn't, you know, we still stand, he still stand by the, stood by the principles of what God intended for a man and a woman. And he upheld what God created marriage originally for, you know, and so it does not make it irrelevant, you know, what Jesus did on the cross. You know, and we see Paul's demonstrating that men have always been justified by faith. You know, he refers to the Old Testament, which is another example showing that it's not irrelevant. He uses Abraham, you know, the founding father of Israel and the traditional model of, you know, the, what the Jews believed. You know, the law did not save Abraham. In fact, you know, the law was not made back then. You know, he was, 
and it shows that no one can be justified by the law. However, Abraham's faith was credited to him for righteousness because he believed. He believed God, you know, even though he didn't see it, he believed it. You know, it was, and it, his justification sets the pattern for both Jews and, and Gentiles. You know, justification occurs in the life in one who believes. And we're guaranteed that we will not experience God's wrath. You know, especially as we continue in our walk with Jesus and allowing him to change us from the inside out. You know, it, you know, that's what we're meant to be. And that, and that's what I say is, you know, we don't, we're not saved by works you know, the works happen because of what Jesus has done in our lives. You know, we do the works because we're saved. All right. You know, because of our love for God. You know, and here we see he, you know, Paul declares in, in the book of Romans that we have peace with God. We have access to him. We have hope, we have joy, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, all of mankind, you know, was affected by Adam's first act of sin, which brought spiritual death to all. And now all of humanity is affected by Christ's act of obedience, which makes it possible for God to justify sinful individuals, you know. But Christ, you know, in Christ's action made righteousness available to all. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about sanctification a little bit. So from, you know, prior to this point, you know, Paul has been stressing, you know, we're under the penalty of sin. And then he talks about the means to bring righteousness, justification. You know, he talks about our eternal separation from God without Christ. He talks about faith. You know, we're justified by faith in Jesus. Then moving on, you know, we get into, you know, chapter 6, verse 1. And, and all the way through chapter 8, verse 39. We're just going to talk about chapter 6 a little bit, uh, just what he has said, and then continue on. Sanctification is essentially, uh, you know, as I said, it's essentially God where, where we become more Christ-like, and that is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what convicts, what is what brings conviction. He is the one that, you know, when we're praying to God, he knows what we need to pray for. And we're going to talk about that in chapter eight, a little bit about the Holy Spirit and his part in, in our, in our walk. And we're going to actually talk more about the Holy Spirit as we get into the different epistles. Uh, so what happens is, you know, Paul is emphasizing his Christ's work on the cross, which, you know, delivered believers from the oppressive power of sin. Now the question is raised, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, and his answer is no. 
we're not to go back to our old ways. You know, we're to walk away from it. You know, freedom from the law does not mean freedom to sin. It, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. You know, there's going to be times, you know, because we're still human. I'm still human and there are times that the Holy Spirit can fix me of things that I didn't realize I did, you know, <laughs> and, and the Lord, and I live with, you know, a sensitivity to the spirit. And when he convicts me, I feel it. And so that is a part of our walk, but it doesn't give me that freedom to just sin whenever I want, you know, and do whatever I want. And there are many people that live by that whole, well, we're saved by grace so we can do whatever we want. And it's like, no, that's not how it works. No, no, no. You know, a believer who is united by faith with Jesus becomes one with him. You know, he lives within us so that he is considered to have, so that we're considered to have participated in Christ's death and resurrection. Sin is rendered powerless because we have died to sin. It's living dead, essentially. Letting Christ live within us. You know, our old self, the unregenerate or fallen human nature is dead. It's done. We are not the same person anymore. We are not that same person. We are a new creation. Since our old self is made powerless by Christ, we are no longer a slave to sin. You know, we're going to have times of temptation, but our union with Christ will provide a new strength. But how do you gain that strength? By getting into the word, by praying, continuing to fellowship with other believers and taking that and applying it. Sanctification is a present term, meaning we need to apply There's an application process to our salvation, taking what we've read, what we believe, and applying it in our own lives. It's not works. It's essentially applying what we believe. You know, our spiritual victory over sin is built squarely on the fact that sin has lost its authority over the believer. And believers can say No to sinful practices since power from Christ is available. We have that ability to say no. And how we can say no and quote scripture is by reading scripture, by taking notes of what our pastor says on Sunday and what we learn in our own Bible study. You know, so that's just something that I really stress and and we're going to actually stop there and We'll continue talking about uh, going through Romans. The next time we go through Romans, we're going to go through chapter 7, chapter 8, which is a very long chapter, but it's amazing. Uh, We go through chapter 9, and then chapter 10, chapter 11, and I believe through part of chapter 12. At least through verse 21 uh, of chapter 12. And uh, so... That is it, and so stay tuned for the next Old Testament um, podcast. Mm-hmm.